I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration. Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. And our second reading is from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 65, verses 17 through 25. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people the sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain. 
nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. And dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Are you sure you don't just want to stay up here and keep going? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, good morning and happy Sunday. So I've been told to never start a speech or a sermon by telling everyone that you're nervous. I I think that's pretty good advice. Thanks, Mom. (laughs) So I'm not going to do that. But I do think it's right to tell you that I am vulnerable. And I'm not going to pretend to be anything else today than super ordinary and very, very vulnerable. But thankfully, we believe in a God who uses ordinary things like the bread and the wine and the water in worship. So I'm just going to ask God to put God's self on display once again through some really ordinary stuff. Come, Lord Jesus. (laughs) Today, I get to preach about the cross. And I'm hoping that we will all leave this place remembering the most extraordinary God who became very ordinary, died a less than ordinary death, and was risen again extraordinarily. After the sermon today, Pastor Kurtz already mentioned it, but there will be an opportunity to experience what the cross has to offer through healing prayer, just so you know where we're headed. In the song we've been singing this month, and that the choir just sang so beautifully, He is Worthy, we've been praising that the Lion of Judah has conquered the grave and is worthy to open the scroll of salvation. Pastor Kurt spoke last week about the tremendous scene in Revelation 5.12, where all creation is praising, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing, and, 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 as Pastor Kurt reminded us. But this morning, I'm going to back us up just ever so slightly, because remember, I'm preaching about the cross, so I have to. I wonder how many of you notice the description of Jesus in the verse. The lamb that was slain. Just prior to the moment in Revelation 5.12, the Apostle Paul is building up to this great scene. First, he sees God holding a scroll with seven seals, and then an angel proclaims loudly, who is worthy to break the seal and open the scroll? But no one's found, and John weeps. But his weeping is interrupted by one of the elders who's surrounding the throne who tells him to look. The Lion of Judah is worthy. And that's what we've been singing. But there's this amazing moment 
in Revelation 5, where John actually looks. And this is what he says in verse 6. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Do you notice he didn't see the Lion of Judah? He saw the lamb that was slain. I want us to pause here for a moment because I wonder what it would have to look like for you to describe something as, it, as if it had been slain. Take a minute to think about that. In my head, it's not really a pretty picture. <laughs> so what Revelation is telling us in this moment is that the Lion of Judah conquered because the Lamb and when the Lamb was slain. Jesus conquered death by experiencing death. I'm going to ask you to hold on to that as we continue on to our passage today in Romans 8, 18 through 30. I'm going to read verses 18 through 23 for us again. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be the one to be revealed. Sorry. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. One of my professors, Dr. Dave Neenhouse, describes Romans as Paul's theological masterpiece. The church in Rome was not started by Paul, so he uses this letter to introduce himself and the message of Jesus to the church in Rome. So Dr. Neenhouse writes, It takes the form of a letter of introduction, presenting the most comprehensive articulation of his message that we possess. And then, specifically here in chapter 8, John Calvin tells us that the letter contains an abundance of consolations, comforts. Because just prior to chapter 8, Paul has gone into detail about the disobedience and brokenness of humanity, or in short, our need for Christ. In my own terms how I would summarize what's happened so far, is that Paul has told it like it is. He recognizes the reality of the present situation. He names it. But then he also tells the Romans there's more to the story. When I was studying this text, I noticed a repetition of like negative words up there. They're all highlighted for you. And it seems to me that Paul gets it. He understands that life is often painful full of suffering, frustration, groaning, bondage, decay. All those words are in our short passage. I can almost hear Paul singing this, this, the words from our song. Do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the shadows deepen? Is all creation groaning? In my, inside me, I'm like, yep, definitely. I'm part of the social media generation. I was a sophomore in high school when the first iPhone came out. And what's funny about this statement is that for some of you, a lot of you in this room, that makes me very young. 
And then for the other part of you in this room, that makes me like crazy old. There's like no winning in this, in this joke that I'm making. And I think that maybe, maybe is the struggle of being in your 30s. We're like not really sure if we're old or if we're young. We're somewhere in the middle. <laughs> I knew somebody had to say it for us. <laughs> but I teach kids, and man, they tell me all the time, how old are you? <laughs> but all of this is beside the point. What I'm trying to say is that the world of social media is relentless. It is, I have to, say, I have to admit, full of wonderful celebrations. Like, for example, the day after Thanksgiving, or after Thanksgiving, that's what's on my brain, day after Halloween, when all of my friends are posting pictures of their babies and their children in Halloween costumes. I mean, does it get better than that? I'm not really sure. But my feed is also simultaneously and consistently full of images and stories of pain. Friends who've lost children, violence around the world, war, mass shootings, innocent people starving and suffering. It's truly relentless every day. And for those of you who aren't in tuned maybe with the world of the socials, perhaps for you it's news sources that inundate you with images of pain all the time. Paul uses the word groaning to describe both the reality of pain that is happening in the world, creation is groaning, that's why we see the pain, and it's what causes within us when we see creation suffering, groaning. Words that, feelings that they're hard to describe. That's what I think of groaning. And then also in Romans 8.26, Paul tells us in the same way, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. So we see God groans too. And this, for me, is where the cross comes in. Remember I asked you to hold on to the image of the slain lamb and and to remember that it was through experiencing death that Jesus conquered death. I'm going to put it in maybe slightly different words now. Jesus, ex- Jesus conquered pain and suffering by experiencing pain and suffering. This is what the cross teaches us. The way of conquering is not avoidance, but going through it. I want us to really hold on to that, so I'm going to say it again. The way of conquering is not avoidance but going through it. I recently attended a conference hosted by my school, shout out to Seattle Pacific Seminary, that focused on forgiveness and reconciliation. One of the speakers actually might be familiar to a lot of you. It was Pastor Scott Dudley from Bellevue Presbyterian. During his keynote, he said, the cross remembers. What he meant by this was that the cross remembers our pain, our suffering, It remembers the past full of injustice, brokenness, rebellion. Because the cross is, of course, a symbol of death, and a violent one at that. On the cross, Jesus faces his pain. Something we clearly see in his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, and even his prayer on the cross. My God, my God, 
I think I need to pause here for a moment because I think many of us are tempted to not face the pain we see in the world or even are experiencing in our own lives. I mean, I'll just speak for myself. <laughs> I'm not willing to really feel the weight and grief of the stories I see on social media of, or the lives of people I know or on the streets of Seattle that are so visible to me every day. I have the choice to ignore it, and I often do. I even have the choice to remain ignorant to it, if I want. I can choose to recognize the suffering, or I can be afraid of it. Because that's really what it comes down to, for me at least. It comes down to my fear. Fear of losing my comfort, my safety, my understanding of the world, fear over my emotions, or over contro losing control over my emotions, all of that. And I don't think, I hope not, that I'm alone in this. I think we're often given the choice to feel the pain or not. Last week in our solitude class, for those of you who have been coming, we heard John Mark Comer of Practicing the Way and Bridgetown Church say, to get free of our pain, we must face our pain. And remember that Jesus' cross shows us this exact truth. Jesus faces the pain, so we can too. Creation groans. We groan. The Spirit groans and intercedes on our behalf. Pastor Scott Dudley used another helpful image during the conference. He said the cross is the meeting place of remembrance and the promise of the future. The cross shows us that we can open ourselves to feel the pain of the world, or even the pain in our own life. We can feel the pain of our own sin, because we've been given the promise of what's to come. And this is super key. We can feel the depth of the despair and the grief, because we know what's to come. Here, Paul at the end of our passage in verses 28 through 30. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that, we, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. We are promised that our groaning will not last. We will be glorified in the Son, in the Lamb who was slain, the Lion of Judah. So doesn't the cross also remind us of the resurrection? Isn't that why we think about it? It's not just a symbol of death for us. It also reminds us of what came after that. It didn't end in pain and death. It ended with mercy and life. I truly believe this is the, the mark of Christian community, of a people who are united by Jesus's cross, is that we're able to face, to acknowledge, to hold, to feel the pain all around us and in us because we are confident in our promise of hope.
It's our calling. It's who we are. It's who God has made us to be. We know that we can bring our sin, our brokenness, our messed up ways before the cross, and we don't have to be afraid because we know, we are confident that Jesus always meets our sin with mercy and forgiveness. In the Christian view, there is no sin but forgiven sin. Jesus on the cross proclaims that to us, and it's the final word. We cannot be a people that forgets our hope. We can't forget the part of the cross that projects us into the future. Isaiah is my favorite book of the Bible, so I couldn't resist using Isaiah's uh, image and vision for what future hope is going to look like. What a contrast, even as Pastor Kurt read it to us, what a contrast the image of that text is to the world that we experience now. The world of yesterday and the world of our past. I'm going to read it again for us. And as I do, I'd love for you to close your eyes if you'll humor me. And imagine the world that it describes. Allow this world to give you courage and to give you hope. See, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard no more. Never again will there be an an, an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at 100 will be thought of a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered a curse. They will build houses and they will dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them. Or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so it will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will no longer... My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they're still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. And the dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Amen. I think Paul sums it up perfectly, all of this, all these images up perfectly, when he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing. They are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. We are given the gumption towards hope even as we feel with abandon the reality of the present sufferings of our own groaning. When we remember that the cross promises mercy and future glory. Let's pray.
Jesus, you are so worthy. Thank you, God, that you have created us into a people who are marked by a hope that makes us brave and honest. Thank you, Jesus, that you always meet us with mercy and the gift of wholeness. We are eagerly eagerly awaiting your return, which will bring with it redemption for all creation. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.